0: Welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast, where we talk about issues impacting food, fuel, fiber, farming, everything about the business of agriculture. I'm your host, Damian Mason, as ever, bringing you an interesting topic. You know, I work for a lot of interesting organizations, a lot of different organizations, food, uh, feed, uh, Midwest processing, uh, people that can peaches, uh, almonds, cranberries, You know, you just about name it. Corn, cotton, cattle, sugar beets. One thing I haven't talked a lot about, though, is the organizations that are cooperatives. That's right. Something that's been serving rural America for a long, long time. Cooperative system. I'm a member of a cooperative, which continues to get conglomerated as a cooperative. And I've spoken to a number of different cooperatives over the years. So today we're going to talk about the cooperative system, what it does for the business of agriculture, its history, its history, Uh, its current situation, what's happening in the land of cooperatives, and in the future. So that's what we're talking about today. If you're an agricultural person, you're going to pick up a couple of business ideas, a couple of business points. You're also going to learn a little history uh, about something that I think has been pretty vital to the rural landscape, and that, of course, is the cooperative system. Just today, just today, I worked for the Farmers Co-op Society. They are a large Northwest Iowa, southeast South Dakota, uh, northeast Nebraska. I suppose uh, cooperative. They had their they had their annual meeting. I was a speaker. I talked about ag issues, the business of agriculture, and with me now is the general manager. He's been with this outfit for 42 years. Think about that. Some of you out there are saying, 42, <laughs> I'm 27, exactly. 42 years this guy has been with the Farmers Co-op Society. They're a large cooperative. I think I counted 11 branches, uh, 11 locations, but he's going to tell me I was just sitting through the presentation trying to go through all the, the this and the that. So we're going to talk about the history, the background, the purpose, the future, the today of the cooperative system. My friend Stan Fakus, General Manager of Farm Co-op, Farmers' Co-op Society, please say hello to the listeners.
1: Hello, listeners. Uh, hopefully we can give you some information today that's interest for you.
0: You can absolutely give us some interest, and I appreciate you being so candid with us. Uh, by the way, Stan's one of these Dutch guys, so he's he's brilliantly uh, talented. He's, he's run this organization very effectively, and he's kind of funny. But you won't probably get that unless I really pry it out of them. Okay, Stan, answer me this. 42 years. Give me a little background. You've obviously learned about the co-op system.
1: Well, yeah, I've uh, started out going to college, uh, worked part-time at the co-op, sweeping floors, throwing sacks uh, from the ground on up. So it's uh, been a part of my life for a long time. Uh, The co-op system, uh, which is typical in a lot of places, the history of our co-op, started back in 1907. And a lot of the co-ops in this area, uh, small town co-ops, were started by farmers in the area to pro- provide a, a, a service and a business for them where they could get fair uh, prices for their grain and sources uh, of products and um, be able to sell and market their products. The, um, I remember Red grandpa saying there was five elevators in town and they couldn't trust any of them. So that's why they wanted to start a co op so they could hire the managers, the people that work there, and get a fair price, uh, just a fair business, and have a part of the ownership in it.
0: Right. And so if you're listening, probably you are an agricultural person, and also you probably understand the co op system. But it's important to note that, you know, we as an industry, have more cooperatives than many farm credit services. Farm credit is a cooperative. Um, many of these places that you buy and uh, your fuel, your chemical, your inputs, your seed, your uh, feed—they are cooperatives—and then also they are a marketing arm, a buying and selling arm, because they give you strength in numbers. And this is again, it's fairly unique. There are you know some cooperatives out in you know. Uh, I'm thinking of REI where people in the suburbs go and buy hiking shoes as a cooperative but we're talking about much larger scale we're talking about truckloads and trainloads of grain and feed and seed and fertilizer and chemical so 1907s when farmers co-op began tell me about your understanding on on uh, where it, where it went from there
1: well it kept growing you know mainly grain business but then feed and livestock cuz our area is pretty heavy in livestock and always has been Uh, As farmers, you know, grew their own cattle and hogs and uh, chickens, produce, um, you know, for their own needs, for food supply. Uh, The co-ops around here back then, there was, uh, well, back in the 1916 World Fair, Susanna was presented as one of the largest cooperative towns in the, the U.S. The telephone company, the produce, a funeral home. Uh, The co-op gas and oil, the grain elevator was just part of that, uh, creamery. So it developed where the farmers had ownership in it and uh, grew grew in services throughout the years. And like most of the co-ops throughout Iowa, uh, maintained local ownership, uh, local sizes. Back in the 70s, Uh, When agriculture really started to blossom, there was uh, a crossroads, I think, that our co-op entered into. Um, Livestock wasn't something that everybody wanted uh, to do. They were losing uh, sometimes money at it. It was hard work. It was easier to be a grain farmer when grain prices were good. Uh, it was a lot easier to raise your crops, go south in the wintertime.
0: Wait a minute. Now, if you are just a younger person, you're saying, what's this guy talking about? Okay, so we're sitting in Sioux Center, Iowa. And remember, that's Northwest Iowa. And I'm from Northeast Indiana. So if you're a little green, if you're a little younger, so to speak, and you're saying, what are they talking about? Yes, the 1970s were the last huge, huge run that agriculture had. If you hear your fathers and mothers talking about what happened between 05 and 20, 20- 2013 imagine that on an even possibly grander scale in the 1970s earl butt said plant from fence row to fence row back in the mid in those days in the midwest we had what we called corn beans and florida farmers by golly put the corn and beans in the ground spray it cultivate it harvest it and then hop in your truck or your cadillac and drive to florida so back to this 1970s there was a a little adjustment that went on in the world of co-ops here in, in your part of the world That's right. uh, Our co-op
1: was part of that uh, decision to do we stay in grain? Do we uh, try to get value added? So the decision was to start, you know, feeding more livestock. We had the know-how. We had the people that wanted to do it. So let's build on our strengths. So they did that. Uh, They started with a feedlot, you know, custom-fed feedlot where there could be cooperative ownership in it. Uh, just to help the cattle feeder to grow around here. So we started getting larger in feed and making the commitment to make feed and not ship grain for export. So that has grown considerably from the days of uh, the early 70s where we probably uh, were making 50 ton a day to 100 ton a day to we're making 4,000 ton a day. And we feed as many as uh, 1.3 million heads of head of hogs. Each day,
0: in every business arrangement, the ideal is that you grow with your customers, giving them something of value, and they, of course, return as gracious, wonderful customers. But the co-op system is a little different because every customer is not a customer; they are really a member owner.
1: That's right; they're the owner of it. So any profits that we get gets <clears throat> uh, paid back to them through patronage, either cash, dividend each year, or some deferred. We keep deferred into the co-op system, which is how it's built. Uh, for capital investment to expand and uh, grow. So that's, uh, like I said, how the system's set up and the owners uh, have equity in each co-op.
0: So we talked about the history a little bit, the background, so if you're tuning in, you're like, yeah, man, I think, Damien, I enjoy listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast with you because you talk about interesting stuff. You've got everything from manure to GMOs to how to communicate as an advocate, but I didn't know that whole thing about the cooperative system, and I would say that if you go around the rural landscape, you're going to see a whole bunch of history and a whole bunch of things that happened because of the cooperative system, because as you said, there might have been an elevator that was privately owned, and then there was the one down the road. Nothing against private ownership, but the co-op system thrived because everyone felt as though they were doing business with a place that also returned something to them.
1: That's right. And as the co-ops grew locally, they also put, went together and made regional co-ops that would provide petroleum fertilizer products, uh, helped out with marketing and exporting to expand their markets, but also provide more inputs for them. So there's larger regionals, uh, land of lakes, Cynics Harvest States, Farmland used to be a large regional that were developed from the farm system, uh, just expanding on the philosophy of a co-op.
0: The idea is that you get uh, you get buying it's a buying cooperative because you get buying in bulk. It's uh, it's like Costco with a bunch of different owners with a bunch of uh, <laughs> with a bunch of benefit that way is the idea and it's selling as well. That's right. And by the way, I was a kid. 4 or 5 years old we would take corn in the pickup truck or the gravity wagon to the Farm Bureau Co-op in Huntington Indiana and we would get weighed and then we would dump and then they would grind and then they would add the molasses and the bone meal and the protein soybean meal and then we would get bagged or bulk feed and we'd go and the best part of that when I was a little boy was we'd go in and see a woman named Joanne behind the counter and then I would always get a chalk cola out of the pop machine. So that was a highlight of my life. Then, of course, it became a different co-op, and it became North Central Co-op, which is now part of Cirrus. So I, myself, am a co-op member. I get my fuel and a little bit of chemical for my farm and a little bit of fertilizer from Cirrus, which was North Central Co-op. So let's bring us to today. Stan, you've been around for 42 years. You've got a ton of wisdom and knowledge. You've seen the cooperative system. I just read about two weeks ago in a Wall Street Journal article that said, and it's they profile a 26,000 acre operator in Kansas. And he obviously gets calls. He gets calls from the big uh, companies that want to do business with him. And he said, I quote, the co-op is just a place to go and drink coffee and talk. Meaning he doesn't think that he needs the co-op, but I kind of bristled that. I'm like, all right, I think there's a lot of people that do need a cooperative system. Tell me about today, what you see happening today and comment on that article. <laughs> Okay.
1: Well, I think we as a co-op have to grow and adapt to technology just like any other business has done. And I think we've been fairly good at that technology and feeding livestock, but raising crops, providing inputs, um, yield monitors, soil sampling, grid sampling. Uh, rations, a number of things that we've done to modernize what we have. Um, We're using a lot of technology with delivery of feed, even ordering feed, maybe having uh, bins that uh, have uh, sensors on them that call in for a feed order. Uh, So it's things like that that we're looking at to keep up with technology, but we have also try to keep up with size and demand in the marketplace. Um, we've done a lot of work with the integrators, but we're continually looking at what our opportunities might be.
0: Wait a minute! You just said integrators. Before we get to you defining integrators for a person that's listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast, it says, "Wait a minute, man! I try to keep up. I try to be. I try to be forward thinking, but I don't know what integrator is." Before you answer that, I think it's important to also to point out: you're never going to be, no matter what you do, whether you're a cooperative, whether you're a. a Huge multinational. Whether you're a small local, you're never going to be everything to everybody. So that article that I referenced in the Wall Street Journal. The reason I bristled at it is, sure, you've got twenty six thousand acres under your command. Every day in your business office, there are nine sales reps lined up to come in and do business with you. There, there's a different operator that maybe has twenty six hundred acres who would be more of the cooperative customer there. And it's not even saying that that there's. The point is there's a a place and a niche for everybody, so tell me about the sweet spot for your customer, but before you do that, what's an integrator? Well,
1: integrator, especially in the livestock business, is kind of vertical integration, where you have these larger investors that own uh, the the pigs from uh, farrowing all the way through finishing maybe even some of the, the packing plants. But they've invested large uh, amounts of money to, to put together a, a system of raising hogs.
0: Yeah, so they've got a system and then they also do a contract. So you've got a person that's a maybe a co-op member out here in Sioux County, Iowa, that says, I've got three barns on a contract with this integrator. I handle the manure. I make sure they get fed. I take care of the pigs, but I don't actually own the pigs.
1: That's right. It's gone to a lot of integrating feeding like that, where the farmer provides the labor, takes care of the manure. Uh, knows how to raise the pigs and does that for somebody else and gets paid for this pig space that he has for this integrator to raise his hog.
0: And then your role in that is maybe you have a deal directly with the integrator that you provide the feed?
1: We provide the feed. What we have done, too, is find the the farmer that's willing to put up a barn and manage the barn, even manage the services ourselves if we need to. So we kind of fit that piece between the integrator and the grower that's out here in the country. So you mean sometimes does a co-op own any of these buildings? We do not own any of the buildings. We tried to stay out of that. We just facilitate the farmer and the end product, the integrator.
0: You're pretty uh, You're pretty up with it. I, I think the main thing in every business, in the business of agriculture, is that you are keeping up with what you can do to be relevant tomorrow. I talk about reinvention. You, you know, going out and, and, and squawking about, oh, boy, it's not like it used to be. Boy, back in the good old days, as I point out all the time, 24 years I've been in the business of professional talking. I've been in front of every industry, every trade group, 2,000 of these gigs over the last 24 years. And every group I work for says... Boy, I didn't like the old days and the old days, the old days, the old days. And I always point out these folks that have rose colored lenses, Stan, would convince you that 20 years ago you showed up at work and customers came in and threw dollar bills at you. You know what? That only happens in one profession. And even those girls better brace because eventually their economy is going to sag also. Okay, you got your chance to laugh. Stan, (laughs) let's talk something about, let's talk now what you're saying and what you're doing now to stay up. What do you see, what other other opportunities are there for you today in uh, the cooperative system? Well, we've become very good at mass-producing pork, beef, so
1: forth in this area. I think the challenges are, and we're starting to see some of this questions, uh, how can we raise non-GMO beef or pork, uh, organic? And so our systems aren't set up to uh, for the niche market like this, but this is something we need to look at. Uh, we fortunately have, you know, built a large feed mill which gives us four or five other smaller feed mills that now we might be able to take some of those and dedicate them to a niche market of some sort say non-gmo because there is some of that raised in this area there's some demand and that apparently growing so we need to look at what we can do to enhance that and go with that if it's going to develop
0: yeah i actually believe that uh i just my last uh, podcast or two ago that i talked to a guy about gmos i think the fear about gmos is actually going to subside as it becomes more uh you know Normal in the marketplace, but there's one thing that will never go away, and that is the next thing. You know, uh, grass fed beef or pasture raised chicken. These are just trends today, and there will be something else down the road. Dannon is building a huge facility in central Ohio that's supposed to be uh, their all natural yogurt expansion plant where they're not going to have allegedly milk from cows that are fed, GMOs, but I think there's a little bit of debate on that. So you've got six or five plants that do feed mills. You could probably just dedicate one of them to organic corn, Uh, and that's maybe an idea.
1: It's an idea, but it's a whole system that has to be developed because you need to raise the corn and soybean meal, and that goes into the feed products. So it's not uh, something you can start up easily. You've got to have farmers that contract to do this have the ground and the ability to raise that type of crop. And And there needs to be – the infrastructure
0: is one thing. There needs to be
1: also the marketplace for the the Marketplace for sure because you you need to spend some money to set that up and you need uh, enough
0: volume to make it work, to make it worthwhile. Okay. So besides selling crop inputs, we know you do crop inputs, all your agronomic inputs. and Then you got your feed and you got your seed, et cetera. Fuel. Is there anything that you think the co-op system can be doing – uh, a year from now that it's not doing right now?
1: Well, I think it's it definitely in, investing in what the trends might be in the future and trying to help our, our customers, our farmers, our owners to address that. Because today we had a few more people coming up uh, interested in what Damien had to say and know that that's reality. So how do we facilitate that? That's something we and our members have to continue to look at and develop ideas to address that.
0: 40 years ago you were working for this organization, you're back, you're not going to be here for long, you did announce that they're going to bring in somebody to replace you, which is fine and and you're ready to move on and, and be retired. What's different today in the in the business than it was 20 30 years ago? Besides the besides, you know, the you said you went to more feed, those kinds of things. What's different otherwise fundamentally?
1: Fundamentally, I, you know, the labor issue is always a big one for us. Okay? Um, there's less, less farmers here, less young people staying. And so finding a good labor force is, is definitely more difficult. And that's the thing that has changed. Uh, fewer people on the farm. And um, with automation and everything, we try and do what we can. But good people, good, hardworking people is something that we really struggle with. And there's a number of them here, but uh, it gets more difficult to do each year.
0: I think it's great that I've, I've done an event a couple of times for, it's a group of kids that are going to college for two-year programs. Not everybody needs to get a, a master's in agronomy to work in agriculture. Not everybody needs to be a food scientist. Sometimes they just need... Two years of technology and and learning so they can calibrate a sprayer so they can also run formulas and then also be the worker bee that keeps your your in Iowa plant going or whatever the the thing was there. Um, We obviously know that we bring in Hispanic labor for some of these livestock operations. Do you see a day where they have – are their kids working for this co-op a year from now? Ten years from now? Uh yeah, I would think so. We actually we have a fairly large Hispanic population
1: around here. We would love to tap into that. There's been some issues as you know, we need a lot of truck drivers. So there's issues with getting valid driver's license, CDLs, and things like that. Once that bridge and that's something I think we need to address, once that can be addressed with the immigrants that we have in this area, um, that would be a big source of us for labor. And we wish something like that could be worked out
0: and and maybe that's uh, if you're listening right here yes we do need a guest worker program we also need these things to be addressed because remember when it comes to animal agriculture remember suburbia if you want to eat cheeseburgers if you want cheese with your wine almost every A species of livestock in the United States of America is handled, touched, milked, or processed by a person that came from south of the border. This is not a racial nor uh, any sort of stance. It is a factual stance, as we all know, in production agriculture. That's right. Um, Okay. Let's talk about tomorrow. Tomorrow for the business of agriculture. Which you're listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, Stan Fakus. General Manager of the Farmers Co-op Society is my guest, and we are talking about the cooperative system. What do you see happening tomorrow? What happens next year, next decade? Do they keep getting bigger? A lot of the co-ops in the
1: state of Iowa have done that. They've merged and have gotten bigger. Uh, Sometimes it's needed for size, for purchasing, and things like that, and for efficiencies. Um, We haven't. We've done some of that, but I, I think... Trying to keep our member base strong is one thing. Uh, we do have uh, smaller farm size, because uh, they have livestock, they have other income that they can source and spread out their income stream. So yeah, we'll probably looking at neighboring co-ops that do some of the same, that are very similar to us. We really want to emphasize growing strong within and within the communities that we serve right now.
0: Yeah, you've got a little different situation. It's not just a matter of how cheap can I get a shuttle of glyphosate. You've got a lot of moving parts when you have dairies and you have poultry and you have pork operations. And then again, probably smaller acreage operators because of the livestock. Anything else you see happening with the system? Uh, You know, good example. Credit unions, to go a different industry completely, credit unions still go to Washington, D.C. and lobby because they do not pay federal income taxes. Banks hate that. Banks also do not particularly like farm credit services, which, again, is a cooperative. So what do you see happening, anything legislatively, regulatory-wise, that hurts or helps the cooperative system?
1: I don't think so. I think the co-op system and the farming industry is pretty well set and established, and um their business model is, is very sound. That we pay taxes. The co-ops pay taxes like everybody else. It's just servicing a certain group, its own owners. And I think they'll adapt enough to uh, make that work and to continue. So it's uh, I, I don't see that changing. I think we have to, like any business, we need to get more efficient and leaner and do things better to stay in business. But that's, that's a standard in the industry, whether you're a co-op or a non-co-op.
0: All right. Speaking of being leaner to stay in business, and you're, uh, like I said, you're approaching retirement. You're, you've been in the co-op system for 42 years. You're a smart guy. You've done a lot, and right now we're in a little bit of a downturn. You heard me talk about it in my presentation. I believe this is ag normal. I believe this is an ag normal economy. It's not an ag, my God, we're going to all die economy like the 80s presented or maybe the Great Depression, uh, the late 20s, early 30s presented to the business of agriculture. I say this is a pretty normal ag economy. Yeah, there's a little skinniness. There's a few tight margins over here, but these people are making money over here. I don't think that we really can complain too much. What's your thoughts on the current ag economy?
1: Well, I agree. It's gotten tight. Uh, You know, grain prices are low, but... Um, that's why we and our, our members uh, have livestock. You diversify, you aren't relying just on the grain price. You can uh, turn it over value added through through livestock and that's gonna continue. They know how to do it, they work hard, they tighten the belt and they continue. There's times when, when uh, livestock prices aren't very good and you can lose money at that but you might make it in grain. So they're very uh, resilient and very hard workers, good businessmen and uh, they weather it. They do what they need to do to survive.
0: Actually, I think that you know we. I, you heard my presentation. We forever have thought that trade was a silver bullet for agriculture. We can just keep producing corn and soybeans and wheat and barley, whatever it is, and then find it a find a barge to stick it on and ship it overseas. The reality is, right now, in meat. There is a lot of that. We are exporting the heck out of poultry and pork and, to some degree, more and more beef. China's opening up on beef. That's a good thing because we've got the inputs. And like you said, right here in this part of the world, you have the ability to produce the meat. What else do you see happening? If you're, uh, if you're able to give me another thought on ag with your perspective, besides this cooperative system, what, what do people need to know?
1: Oh, that's a tough question.
0: All right, I'll make it easier <laughs> on you. One piece of advice, one thought, or one lesson? Not even, you know, just something you know from your experience as a general manager of a cooperative in Northwest Iowa for 40 years. You've been with a company, you weren't a general manager the whole time. One lesson, one thing you've learned that you think everybody could hear right now and they're listening uh, to this about the business of agriculture.
1: Well, I would say always be open for change, always be looking out for what's new and what's coming out uh, down the road. Um, not being content where you're at, Uh, always uh, trying to look for what's new so you can adapt because you know it's not going to stay the same. If you're standing still, you're going to get left behind. So you need to be changing, uh, trying new things. Uh, Some will fail, some will be successful. But I'd say keeping an open mind and looking for what the next challenges might be to address.
0: We talked in my presentation about commodity mindset, and I said, it's not bad that we in ag produce commodities, but that's not the same thing as having a commodity mindset. Commodity mindset to me me just just means you show up every day and say, how can I produce the same thing I did yesterday and do it the same way I did it yesterday, and that's not going to get you uh, success tomorrow. Stan Fekes was my guest. His name is spelled F-E-E-K-E-S because he's Dutch, as a bunch of people here in Sioux County, Iowa are. They were my client today. That's the Farmers Co-op Society. I enjoyed being with them. I hope you learned something here on the Business of Agriculture podcast because we talked about an institution that's been around for a long time, since the late 1800s, the cooperative system, which helped build a lot of rural America. I mean, you can say the rural, the railroads, and you can say the cooperative mm-hmm. system made life and uh, development out here possible. You really can. It's uh,
1: made a lot of uh, industries out here and made a lot of people successful and livelihoods for the area. So, appreciate talking to you uh,
0: Hey, Damien. Well, we appreciate you having me. You are listening and have listened to the Business of Agriculture podcast. I'm Damien Mason. Please subscribe, listen, join me. Keep up with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and we'll do this again. Thanks a lot. You listen to the Business of Agriculture. Join me again next time. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Damien.